Hello, and welcome to Smooth Scaling, the podcast from Insight Partners that helps revenue leaders scale their software companies at every stage of growth. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan, and today I'm speaking with Daniel Silverstein, Vice President of Customer Success at Carta, whose mission is to create more owners by making it as easy to issue equity as it is to manage payroll. Daniel, as you reflect on your career, what's one customer success initiative you've been involved with that had a major impact on revenue performance? First of all, Jeremy, thanks for having me. Great to be here. From where I've sat for the majority of my career, even up until now, even at Carta, sitting within the revenue organization and being asked to both contribute to the revenue targets through upsell and cross-sell motions, but also through other components of net dollar retention. We've had, I think, the unique opportunity to help scale the business and affect revenue in lots of different ways. But the problem statement when I joined Carta was uh, we didn't know how to talk to customers. And so I think there was a, a very a small team of five or six people that were here with completing an inbound function, waiting for the phone to ring, uh, essentially jumping on calls, trying to solve quick customer problems, and then, you know, ideally trying to sell them something and moving on. And so, you know, I think the the problem that we were trying to solve for at the time was, you know, not just that we didn't know how to talk to customers, but we didn't know how to think about expansion, didn't know how to think about, you know, upsell, cross-sell, any of those things of that nature. So the initiative itself was scale you know, build and scale a team, but specifically it was where, like exactly what should upsell look like? What should cross-sell look like? How should we think about selling to an install base of eight or 9,000 customers at the time? And, you know, essentially create a sort of cross-functional relationships with the other parts of the business that were trying also to talk to the same customers. So the initiative was uh, largely, you know, how to, how to define what like a post-sale journey should be at Carta. And so that was probably the most impactful thing that I've done in quite some time because we were, you know, effectively within three to six months able to scale up a team from five to 20 people and effectively start hitting revenue targets in the first couple of months. We went from a business that was doing, you know, $100,000 a month or something like that in upsell revenue up to three or $400,000 and finished the first year, five and a half million dollars of upsell revenue alone. So we definitely spent time in that first year uh, defining motions and all those things, but really... It's a unique question to ask because I think lots of CS orgs who have higher ACVs and different transactional revenue models um, have the, the luxury of building CS the other way, where you're you know looking at high-touch models first and trying to work backwards. We have a, quite a different scenario here at Carta and you know with a larger install base and a lower ACV where we were having to do scaled CS from the very beginning. And so you know building a post-sale journey in an upsell and cross-sell motion where it's a one-to-many scenario has always been uh, the the drive and what we've had to do to be successful here. So, long story short, here you know we are four years later. You know we have thirty thousand customers, and we are now effectively moving forward. Going to be combining with the delivery orgs and doing other larger initiatives. And now, as as we've shifted and evolved as a company, that foundation is now being passed to other teams. And we're now focusing more on other components of net dollar retention, but really ultimately have, have put the CS team front and center as being a respectable part of the organization by showing first that we can deliver revenue and then afterwards we can st- uh, be accountable for it. That's the high level of it. I want to center in on on the post-sale journey that you created. So first of all, I, I know from talking to a lot of different customer success leaders that every organization defines customer success differently. Some will split the commercial and non-commercial motions. And then even within the non-commercial motions, they may split further. So I'd love, love to hear how, how you've thought about how you've defined customer success there. So it's interesting. I think there are functions within customer success uh, here and elsewhere that I've been in my career that would be more 
typically defined as account management as opposed to customer success. Going back to a period of time, even probably before customer success was really a concept when everything was account management and the, the luxury of being able to build a customer success motion and team didn't exist. It's a relatively new concept of the last you know, 15 or so years. So I think what we've been able to do is, you know, build a like, you know, end-to-end lifecycle business where uh, we call the the holistic organization customer success. There are parts of the organization that are still actually called account managers, the folks that sell into a very specific part of the business and manage that part of the business where we the larger umbrella is customer success. But within that, we have, you know, program management and account management and CS. So there's a larger, broader, you know, organizational view of all this stuff. 80 to 90% of our customers live in, in SMB in mid-market. Our enterprise customers have a very different experience with us. And ultimately, even as high touch as we get up there, it's a very different life cycle moment. And that's the only place in the business where we've really ever been able to do more white glove, hands, hands-on customer success. But I think in the end of the day, we've been partnering with our, you know, the implementations and support teams, even our valuations team, that's another part of our delivery organization here to provide like a, you know, a post-close one experience that is much more aligned with customer success and account management. And even during the years when we've been responsible for upsell, not all the business has been part of upsell. The SMB team has largely been focused on product education and communication. The mid-market teams have often been responsible for upsell, cross-sell, lead generation, renewal, all those motions. And then the enterprise team has not been selling. So we've really been zeroed in on like, what does the customer want from you at that period of time in their life cycle? What is it they expect from us? Where can the CSMs be effective in a scaled motion? And how can you partner with the people in the delivery organization to make sure that you're, they're getting the experience that they need at that moment in their life cycle? So in our world, like I wouldn't even be able to answer the question asked in one singular way because every function, every role, every segment is a little bit different. And the overarching theme behind all this stuff has always been to me, and I say this to my team all the time, Revenue is a result of good engagement, not the purpose of it. Even if you are trying to sell somebody something, if a customer is getting the feeling that you've not heard the problem that they're trying to solve and you're not introducing a solution that makes sense to them, then you're not doing it right. And the, so we, we, whether you're in a revenue generating role or a revenue responsible role, the purpose is to drive better engagement. And if you do that well, along with the partnership from the other teams that are supporting customers, then revenue is an outcome of that, but it's not the purpose of it. And so in a lot of ways, like our, we've defined things, it's not as binary as commercial, non-commercial. It's not quite that easy, unfortunately, but, you know, it has scaled well. The team's over hundred people now and across, you know, probably a dozen different roles. The charter that I want the, all the teams to follow is, you know, very clearly to me, a, a partnership with all the post-sales teams to make sure that we give a better experience. Well, you did define to some extent, I think it was helpful, these three components of customer success. They're, you know, the traditional customer success function, which you referenced product education, but I would put usage and engagement in there. And then the next piece were elements of account management, upsell, cross-sell, renewal. And you mentioned a, a third piece, which was program management. You don't hear as much about that. What does that mean to you? One really critical thing that makes this particular organization a unique customer success team is that it's a non-daily use product by design for many users. I would say like there are places in certain segments where people will use it more than others, but traditional SaaS product adoption metrics don't apply well here. We can't build customer health scores or churn prediction scores or anything that's based purely on product adoption 
in the same way that others can because it's a low ACV, non-daily use product. So I would say like we, we use that stuff in SMB and we use it in enterprise and we use it in other places, but a lot of SaaS companies can lean very heavily on those things as a predictor of what's going to happen or what's not going to happen. We have to get a little bit more creative and more outbound motion to engage with our customers at scale to get what we want back from them. So that's one little piece of clarity that I wanted to add to there. You know, on the program management side, our program management team has put together as kind of a combination of like ops and strategy. The leader on that team has probably been the most influential person on the entire team outside of myself for the time that I've been here, has built multiple different functions. We started with the teams that support the customer success organization in more of a like a holistic way. So everything from like, how do you think about the strategy for how to bring a new product to market in a specific segment to, you know, how do we want to implement tools and processes to how do you coordinate with the enablement teams and make sure that the enablement strategy is aligned with the CS vision to, you know, building out communications and, and, and uh, like reference programs, things of that nature. So it's kind of a combination of what you would see out there in the world of program management, ops strategy, a little bit of comm strategy as well. Like how do you uh, make sure that other teams that want to talk to customers have the right customer lens to talk through and that there's actually legitimately a gate to go through before you go reaching out to customers. It's a bit of a, a mix of things. And then the programmatic parts of our organization that were the role and function do not fit well into other segments have, have historically gone in there. As we build that organization further and further, I think we'll throw digital content into that as well. Other things of that nature. It's kind of a combination of ops strategy and what you would see in other parts of other departments is program management. Since we're focused so much on scaling up, and you mentioned when you joined, there were around five people in the function. Within six months, you got to 20. Was this CS ops hire one of the first 20? Probably three or, three or four months after I joined. It was part of the beginning part of it, but I would say the foundation, really doing foundational work at that point in time, trying to understand like cross-functional relationships. A lot of what you see with this sort of customer journey mapping, which <laughs> is an exercise that I think sometimes people overthink a little bit and overutilize. By the time it's finished, it's usually stale and static. But yeah, she, I think she joined uh, sometime three or four months after I did. And since then, it's been just a, like, a, I, I can't recommend them highly enough. I know this is probably something we'll chat through in a minute here. But when I think about if I had to go back and do this again in places where I've been where it wasn't done well, this role and function is absolutely critical to scale a team. For CS teams that have not gotten there yet, that have not figured out either to have some sort of a CS ops function or somebody within the team to create leverage. That's the whole kind of point here is like, it's almost like you could rethink of this as like a leverage team. Like how can you get more to scale out of one person's role uh, as opposed to adding individual contributors or management layers or anything of that nature, even tech stack and tools. Sometimes having the right like centralized function to support all the teams creates more leverage than anything, anything else. With respect to that type of person, where do they come from? Are they, do they come from the consulting industry or were they a CSM? Were they a professional enablement person? I'm, I'm curious where- No, where... none of those. <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> I think if I were to go vet for a role like that, the closest thing to it would be your first choice there, which would be like a consulting firm, I would imagine. Uh, like a lot of companies, I think, uh, Carter included in this, would you know go source our, like our, from our biz ops teams, as an example, would go source- McKinsey folks or people that are from consulting firms. This would be the closest thing to, to that. The specific person that we ended up with in this role, I think had a, a fintech background. So certainly had like, you know, very strong understanding of, 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 you know, financial services and technology and both of those things. Don't think there was a specific consulting background or anything of that nature, but 
generally speaking, what you're looking for is somebody who has the ability uh, to think objectively, you know, use data to their advantage and to do things that are project management associated. And most of the time, I think if you were going out there in the world to try to find that, you'd most likely find it from a consultant firm or something of that nature. But we find sometimes even when we're hiring for those ops strategy roles in other parts of the organization, is that you do end up with people that would like the opportunity to be a part of an organization and stick, as opposed to consultant jobs that are just bounced from one to the next. You don't you don't get any of the relationship building of it, and also uh, you don't get the equity or the ability to you know be impactful as a part owner in the company that you work for. So that's what I would say, sort of externally, who you're looking for. This person was kind of a unicorn candidate because they had a little bit of like the project management experience, a little bit of strategy experience uh, in fintech specifically, and even carried some licenses that you know. We don't need for most of the business here, but they're effectively, they're useful just because it demonstrates an understanding of parts of our business that are a little bit nuanced. There's an eternal debate, right, in every function, not just customer success, about whether industry acumen is a critical hiring, must-have hiring component or not. That particular example, you mentioned FinTech twice for that individual. As you look to hire CSMs and other people into the or- in your broader organization, how important is industry acumen? prior industry experience in, in fintech where you guys are? So for some roles, not important at all. And I would tell you, like, there's a pretty good reason for it. If you were going to go try to find somebody who had experience selling equity management software, <laughs> you're looking at a very small pool. There's only a handful of companies that do this. It's one of the reasons why Card is so successful. So I would say not, not as much. Um, if anything, I think one of the things that I would say in scaling a CS team is the way that I, I, I position this to the hiring managers and even to... Uh, some of the individual contributors that I talk to is that if I believe that customer success and account management are kind of one and the same, the output metrics may be a little bit different depending on the company. And you know, one might drive revenue, might one might be responsible for revenue. The principle behind it, it should still be that everybody brings a different type of problem, customer problem solving to the table. And so we've actually done quite the opposite of just trying to find right down the middle hires, at least for our IC layers. We're trying to find people who have done some customer-facing work and unique verticals where potentially they might bring a different type of customer problem-solving set to the team that the other person doesn't have. And I would say the explicit ask from everybody on this team is like, if you come into the team and you have experience in solving a customer problem that's different from other people around you, you have to share it. That's why we brought you here and they will do the same to you. Then collectively, if we can all you know have a, a mind share that's like, unique to how people solve customer problems. I would rather have that than somebody who solved the same problem the same way a thousand times because it doesn't reflect well when the market changes. It doesn't doesn't create a, a team that's resilient enough to handle ups and downs. And we've, we've created a knowledge base here internally that is not dependent on fintech. It's dependent on people who've gone and solved complex customer problems in multiple different industries. It's interesting that you mentioned problem solving as a key competency. Do you hire... Sometimes you hire people and you need to refine their problem-solving acumen. And, and if yes, is there a formal way that you that you do that? I learned because I worked for eight years for former McKinsey consultants, and that's what they do for a living. And they taught me some frameworks, yes, but it was very much on the job. So I'm curious, what do you do to teach people, quote-unquote, problem-solving? Great question. I don't know that we have a formal approach to this. One of the things that I've done, and I started doing early on here, done this in previous roles as well, is so if I paint a picture back here, so it's April of 2020, May of 2020. Like a lot of businesses, I wouldn't say our model was flipped upside down, 
but our customers were definitely flipped upside down. Everyone was panicking, holding onto their money. And realistically, as you know, like the venture world right afterwards turned out to be just fine. <laughs> That's maybe not the case today, but it certainly was in early 2021. But you know, trying to help people think about very specific customer situations and do reverse discovery. And I say I call it reverse discovery. That's my my own way of describing it. But if you imagine a sales motion where you know obviously people go through whatever version of discovery they do, they might use a sales methodology specifically or not use one. But the purpose is to try to derive you know what the problem statement the customer has and you know get it to the, the right person and sell them whatever blah blah blah. I create a framework for what I would call reverse discovery, which is like customer comes to you with a problem. How do you like how do you dissect how bad the problem is? Where's the pain? How do you how, what do you do about it? Everything from like you know, very sensitive stuff that you would ask a customer and probably their most vulnerable moment. Like, you know, how bad is the problem? What vertical you're in? How, what's your what's your cash burn? What, when was the last time you raised? What's your line of sight to fundraising? Like really trying to understand what how you could be the most helpful to that customer. And I set up sort of this reverse discovery workflow and process for approval and cheat sheets and all this stuff. And then I put these two calls on the calendar twice a week. I call them deal desk. It was most definitely not deal desk in any way that you would consider a deal desk, deal desk. It was literally like you got a weird situation, bring it to the call and use the framework that we put together, but let's walk through it and dissect it. And we spent time dissecting people's thought process. And it was a little bit of like a little voyeuristic because you had other people on the call, you know, 30 people on a call twice a week because there were so many problems to solve. And me, I would say moderating, but also like, Jumping in and also pointing out things that were, you know, could have been done better or differently, asking for other people to build consensus, but really dissecting the skill set of like what it takes to solve a customer problem. Did you solve the right one? Did you ask the right questions? Did you get two clicks ahead and ask something that they didn't need to tell you? Did you forget something during that reverse discovery? So this, I'm giving you an example here of things that we've done here that like I think really helped each other. And then sometimes I could just not be there anymore because my calendar got to be a mess. And they would show up anyways, and they would just help each other through these situations. Hey, have you ever seen this before? This customer said X, Y, and Z. Like, how should I think about this? And, you know, either a colleague or a manager or somebody would be on that call and help them not just like solve that specific customer problem, but think about the framework. Did you do the, did you do the work that you were supposed to to really understand the customer problem in a way that gave you the depth you needed to, I say this all the time, do you solve the right problem for the right customer? <laughs> or do you solve the right problem for the wrong customer? I, that's maybe not a popular view, but there are many in this day and age, like lots and lots of people are going to be asking for help. And it's not that we don't want to be helpful, but you want to be helpful in the right way to the right customer, but you don't get there unless you ask the right questions. Daniel, I'm going to interrupt you here so we can record a part two to dive deeper into how you train CSMs to provide clients with legitimate personal and business value. Thank you for listening to the Smooth Scaling Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, or tell a friend. For more information about the topics we discussed today, check out the Insight Partners blog at insightpartners.com slash blog. See you next time. <laughs>